It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. This Thursday, March 30th, is baseball's opening day. Most of the baseball news at this point has been about the rule changes intended to speed up the game to attract younger fans. And of course, the news is always about the game's overpaid superstars. Mike Trout of the LA Angels has a $426 million contract. Juan Soto of the Padres just turned down a $440 million offer from Washington. But for a century, thousands of young players have lived with low wages, overcrowded housing, and all-night rides in uncomfortable buses in order to play in baseball's minor leagues, hoping eventually to make it to the majors. They never complained in public, but this year their lives are changing because they organized a union. For that story, we turn to Kelly Candale and Peter Dreyer. Kelly was a union organizer for 15 years. He's written for the LA Times, the New York Times, and The Nation. And he produced the documentary film, A League of Their Own, about his mother's years in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Kelly, welcome. Great to be here. And Peter Dreyer teaches politics at Occidental College. He's the author of several books, including Baseball Rebels, the Players, People, and Social Movements That Shook Up the Game and Changed America, published in 2022. Peter, welcome back. Thanks. Well, major league players for a long time have been represented by the Players Association and collective bargaining with the billionaires who own the baseball teams. But now the minor league players have a union and for the first time are negotiating a contract. Let's start with what life was like for the 5,000 minor league ball players who are employed by one of the 30 major league teams. What has it been like to be a minor league player? Well, the bottom line is they lived lives of desperation. They got paid less than the minimum wage. They didn't get paid for spring training. They didn't get paid for the offseason. They only got paid for the, the weeks of the summer, the spring and the summer. And even then, they, they probably made no more than an average, about 15000 a year. They often lived in uh, overcrowded apartments with five or six players crowding into an apartment. And um, they didn't have enough money for food. A couple of them told us that uh, it wasn't unusual for them to have two meals a day, and one of those would be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> And then they could get traded uh, or move up and down uh, in different minor league teams all over the country. And then they'd lose their, their, their rent deposit. And for someone making so little money, that was a big deal. And in fact, housing was probably the major issue that they were uh, upset about when the union started and when they were talking about organizing. You know, there's this glamour about being a professional athlete, but if you just graduated from high school or you just spend two or three years in college, and then you go into the minor leagues, uh, you're in for a rude awakening. You're drafted by a team. That team essentially owns you for a certain period of time, five, six, 
seven years according to the, the the contract so contrary to what most people can do is if they're not being treated well or, or paid right by one employer they can go across the street presumably and and offer their services to another that's not the case in the, in the minor leagues or the major leagues well everybody for decades has said minor league players could never be organized into a union and that seemed to be true but why did it seem to be true uh, you know, Marvin Miller was the uh, key organizer of the Major League Baseball Players Union. He was a genius. And he defied the odds after he was hired in 1966. And he turned this uh, paper tiger of an organization, the Major League Baseball Players Association, into probably the strongest union in the country. But even Marvin Miller said, you know, about 10 years ago, the minor leaguers would never organize a union. He said they had stars in their eyes and that they would be too afraid to lose their place in the pecking order and risk not getting into the majors. So what did it take to change this situation? Well, like any social movement, it took three things. It took terrible conditions, which we've already discussed. It took the uh, owners to make a lot of mistakes, and the owners made a lot of mistakes. You know, people think that the ruling class is so smart, but in this case, they were pretty stupid. They made a lot of errors. One of them was they got Donald Trump to sign a bill in Congress that uh, basically exempted minor league teams and players from the federal minimum wage. Mm. That outraged the players, you know. And, and what was the name of this bill? I love the name of this bill. It's called the Save America's Pastime Act. <laughs> and the, uh, the theory was that. <laughs> that minor league and major league teams would, couldn't afford to pay decent living wages to their minor leaguers. And if mm. they did, they'd go under. Of course, 24 out of the 30 Major League owners are billionaires. And Major League Baseball is making more money now than they've ever made. So the owners made a lot of mistakes. During the pandemic, they, the Major League uh, Commissioner, Rob Manfred, canceled the minor league season and left 5,000 people out of work and didn't provide them with any compensation. And then he added insult to injury by he basically cut off 42 teams, each with about 30 people in it, including a team in Burlington, Vermont, where Bernie Sanders uh, lives, which made him the, uh, the enemy of Major League Baseball. Uh, the third thing is that they had a couple of agitators and organizers who did a great job, who uh, quietly went around talking to minor league players. One of them was a former minor league pitcher, and Garrett Brocious, who uh, sued Major League Baseball for violating the minimum wage laws. Another was this incredible guy named Harry Marino, who had been a, a pitcher in um, Division Three baseball at Williams College. He was also a lawyer, and he, he led the campaign for uh, the minor leagues. So all those ingredients came together. And for the first time, the Major League Players Union decided it would be a good investment to help organize the minor leagues. Their contribution made a big difference. You know, I, I think just the, the, the general feeling in the country at large towards unions was was also a, a really important factor. When we talked to the players that were in the minor leagues and part of this organizing drive, there wasn't any hesitancy about uh, the benefits of a union for these minor league players. And I, I think that is in part because they've seen other young people, you know, at Starbucks, at, at REI, at Amazon, step up and say, you know, we don't have to accept this. You know, the idea of a union is a good thing. It's good for the major leaguers. It's good for the minor leaguers. It's good for a Starbucks worker. 
it's good for us. But this is not like organizing, say, Amazon at Staten Island, where 6,000 people go to work at the same place at the same time every day. This is this is uh, 120 teams all over the country, many in small towns and cities. Uh, they're on the road half of the season. They're not working at all many months of the year. It seems like that would make organizing them a lot harder than organizing as we traditionally understand it in industrial sites. Yeah, it's not not like standing out in front of the the ballpark with leaflets. You know, <laughs> a lot of a lot of this was done online. It was done with new technologies through texting, through Zooms. I mean, you know, some of it was sort of old-fashioned finding leaders, finding the people who were courageous, connecting those up with, with uh, other people who who would be interested, giving those people assignments to track down other people, but a lot of it was uh, a new style. You know, same with the uh, Starbucks workers. If you ask them how they communicated with each other, it was on text. It was on Zoom uh, because they're they're across the country in thousands of different workplaces, too. So mm -hmm. I think they were very strategic about it. Uh, we, we quoted Trevor uh, Hildenberger, who was one of the, the main organizers, and he said, when I talk to other players, you know, at the batting cage or on the bus or in the locker room, I made sure that I didn't whisper. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to think that what we were doing was dangerous or wrong. So they were thoughtful, uh, psychologically thoughtful, organizationally, and, and used these, these new technologies as well. They also made a very smart move. They hired a, uh, a Latino ball player, former minor league player, to reach out to the other Latino players, both American Latino and those from the Dominican Republic and Central America and Latin America, because they're now about a third of all the players professional baseball. We are used to the owners facing union organizing campaigns among, among their workers of using every tool in the very large anti-union toolbook to prevent organizing and to fire organizers and, and then to refuse to recognize unions and force elections and then challenge elections. But last September, the owners recognized the union without a fight, without demanding an NLRB election, which the law entitles them to do. Why do you think they threw in the towel right away? So for one thing, they just the major league players had just gone through a lockout where the owners went on strike for 99 days and they had to cancel part of the spring training. And the public and the media really took the sides of the players against these greedy billionaire owners. And I think they weren't prepared for another big battle like that. They also knew that a lot of the major league players were on the side of the minor league union idea. Um, a lot of them wore wristbands at games saying they supported the minor league uh, players. And we interviewed uh, Clayton Kershaw and, um, and some other players, Walker Bueller and Gavin Lux in the clubhouse at Dodger Stadium. And they were very supportive of, uh, of the union. And I think that was representative of what was going on. So I think the owners thought that they were going to lose anyway because the players we're going to be able to get more than a, a best, they're going to get more than a majority to sign cards. And the truth is, it wasn't going to cost them that much money. And that's what's so outrageous about this is these are some of the richest people in the country, these owners, paying a decent wage and um, improving their living conditions was not going to break the bank. And whatever happened to that class action lawsuit that accused the uh, owners of, of violating a minimum wage laws? The lawsuit was filed in 2014, 
and it didn't get settled until 2022. Wow. But two things happened. One is because their biggest grievance was the housing problems that they faced, every major league team agreed to pay for the minor leaguers housing uh, as part of the settlement and as part of the effort to co-opt the union drive. Um, and secondly, uh, Gary Brocious, the lawyer, won a settlement of $185 million wow. to pay uh, current and former major league players for having been underpaid under federal minimum wage laws. And so, you know, the owners uh, knew that public opinion was against them. These are among the most ferocious anti-union people in the country in many ways. But, you know, they knew they had lost and they were trying to cut their losses. Where do we stand in the contract negotiations right now? There was essentially a, a news blackout on on the negotiations with the, with the minor leagues for their first contract. But talking to people behind the scenes, we suspect that the key issues are going to be housing, as, as uh, Peter pointed out. I think one of the key demands is going to be to establish a foundation for pensions for minor league players. Uh, some of these guys spend four, five, six, maybe even seven years in the minor leagues still hoping to get their shot. So having a vested pension is, is I think, going to be a, a crucial issue. It's interesting how many players that we talk to talk to us about working conditions, the state of their locker rooms, you know, where they stay when they're on the road, what, you know, what kinds of hotels, all the places where if an owner wanted to diminish their, their costs would, would, would do it by getting a cheap hotel or cheap transportation or what have you. So all of those things are going to be uh, more uniform. Uh, obviously, getting paid during spring training, all of the, the times where teams ask a player to go to a training camp or spend two or three weeks somewhere where it might not be the season, but they're going there for training or, or rehab or something. All of those those places, they're going to have to be paid, which the, the teams did not want to do in the past. Those were all places where owners uh, saved a lot of money on, on uh, not having to pay those minor league players. Uh, most of the minor league teams are owned in part by the major league teams that are their parent company, so to speak. So while the minor league teams are responsible for the ballpark and other stuff like that, the major leagues really nickel and dime them. Still a lucrative thing to do to own a minor league team. But it, so it was really up to the major league teams to provide the funding for the kinds of for the pensions and the housing and the salaries that the minor league players get or don't get. So minor league baseball players, for decades, no one believed they could be organized into a union, and suddenly they have been organized into a union. What are the lessons here for, uh, for the rest of America? Well, one of the key lessons, I think, is that places that had previously been considered uh, immune to union organizing, it can happen and happen fairly quickly. But... Uh, a lot of hard work needs to take place uh, to make that happen. I think there is a change in consciousness about unions. I mean, we've seen recent polls that indicate that the popularity of unions is at its highest point ever. It's 65, you know, approaching 70%. And, and part of the reason for that is, is because of poor working conditions and what's happened in the economy. You know, that people are realizing that a union is going to be good for us, good for our future, good for our families. So, I think the the main lesson is is that when you have courageous people 
when you have an institutional structure that is supportive, uh, big things can happen. Everything's impossible until it's not. Everything's impossible until it's not. Kelly Candale and Peter Dreyer wrote the cover story for The Nation, How Minor League Ball Players Won a Union. It is a terrific piece of reporting. You can read it at thenation.com. Uh, you can read it on opening day, Thursday, March 30th. Thank you, Kelly. You're welcome. Great to be here. And thank you, Peter. Great, John. Good to see you again. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.